Welcome to the Best of the Left podcast, with clips today from The Young Turks, Tom Hartman, and Ring of Fire. Obviously, the Arab, uh, uh, I mean, the, uh, the Israeli-Lebanese uh, uh, issue, it's, it's in the news. I don't know whether you guys have been watching. But anyway, there was a protest right outside our, our window here at, uh, uh, on Wilshire Boulevard in Los Angeles, uh, California, main, main drag uh, in L.A., and there were uh, uh, hundreds of Lebanese protesters and hundreds of, hundreds, it might be a stretch, of, of, of Israeli, uh, pro-Israeli, pro-America was sort of how it went together. And, um, and I went down and talked to them, and like any good, television reporter, which I was for many years of my life, there's a tremendous amount of me in the story. <laughs> God forbid I would, I would let the story get in the way of, of me being on camera. So uh, with apologies to, to that part of it, uh, uh, this is sort of uh, our own take, uh, sort of, I think, a very young Turksian take on, on, the, on, the, on the protests, on the event itself, and, uh, and, and just uh, in general, on, yeah, I'm not a fan of protests. So I went in there uh, with an extra grind. All right, so here is yesterday's uh, protest on the streets of Los Angeles. The anger from the Lebanese on one side and the, and the Jews on the other. Here we go. First, let me say this. You have the uh, Palestinian Lebanese protesters on that side of the street, and you have the pro-Israeli protesters on this side of the street. So let me begin with this quick observation. In this rare case, the Arabs are kicking the Israelis' ass. Who made your sign? It's really good. Are you comfortable with the, you know, that the, the clearly a number of Lebanese civilians are being killed who have nothing to do with the terrorism and nothing to do with Hezbollah as the, the government of Lebanon is a democracy? I, I, I absolutely think on either side, innocent civilians getting killed is horrible. It's so terrible, but doing nothing means more civilians get killed. I think it's the lesser of two evils. Bush has got to go. Hey, hey. Oh, ho. George Bush has got to go. This is a pretty big crowd just to protest George Bush's veto of the stem cell bill, huh? That's very funny. Well, thank you. I thought of it in the elevator on the way down. So you got a, a sign here, pick a side, Hamas and Hezbollah, or peace and freedom. Thankfully, uh, this complicated issue has been broken down to this simplistic sign by this gentleman. The What's end is Israel will clean up what Lebanon did not clean up. They will get rid of Hezbollah. Do you think there's a possibility it'll end up sort of drawing more people to Hezbollah as more children and, and innocent people get killed? There's no choice when Hezbollah already makes the choice to attack your cities. There's no choice. You have to you have to defend your life. Watch what happens and how happy the Lebanese are going to be when they're finished with Hezbollah. You think they'll be grateful to the Israelis after Totally, 100%. They'll get their country back. We're already seeing letters... Uh, coming out of the Christian Lebanese because they're already predisposed because they were angry at uh, the PLO. You know, Arafat used to attack Israel. I'm not sure who Arafat is. I think you're living in a fantasy land if you think that these people will be grateful to Israel after this is over. I think that you and I should wager. Uh, first of all, if you're talking about wagering, I'm in. I'm there. I'm in. This is embarrassing. I mean, you got the Israelis over there. You got the, the Lebanese over here. You got, you're by yourself for crying out loud. What the hell kind of protest is this? I think I'm the voice of reason. <laughs> they're wrong and they're wrong and they both have anger.
angry faces. What kind of a message is it to tell our children that all killing must stop? It's a message of peace. It's a message that we're not barbarians. What does that say to our kids when we say peace and stop killing for crying out loud? Think of the children! <laughs> I, know. I know, I am. I hope you're not a teacher. Let me just say that. All right, I'm going to go across the street to the Lebanese side. Uh, if I don't make it back, Cenk, seriously, tell my wife I love her. All right? I don't know the answer. The stereotype is that Jews are very smart. But this is the protest uh, taking place in the shade. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just saying. True. <laughs> Maybe it's not so true. They're not hitting Hezbollah. You know what they're hitting? They're hitting civilians. I don't think you can reasonably look me in the eye and tell me that the Lebanese government has done all it could to disarm Hezbollah or pressure Hezbollah to stop with militant attacks in the south of Lebanon. 959 thing has been there for years, and you know, Israel has not done anything about it, and neither has Lebanon. It's tried. But if you really want peace in a country, then you work with the government when the government says ceasefire and let's negotiate. Don't kill children. You can't hide. We charge you with genocide. You can't hide. We charge you with genocide. Did you come up with that one? I think so. It's good. It's right up in Iran. It's strong. What is a country like Israel supposed to do when Hezbollah comes across and kidnaps two soldiers? It justifies killing 300 children, right? What should they do? What should they do? At least work with them. It happened before. These are soldiers. They're already at war. Work together and solve the problem. You have Jewish friends? I do. Good friends? Uh, yeah, somewhat. Lawyers, bankers, those kind of guys? Uh, yeah, a little bit. <laughs> Fairly cute protester there. She's giving me her number. Oh, no, she's not. <laughs> Sorry, I'm not a big fan of American media, therefore I don't watch it a great deal. I watch uh, Arab broadcasting. You watch Arab broadcasting? Um, are you a terrorist? I'm sorry, are you stupid? There's a possibility that I'm stupid, but... Yeah, there is, but there's no possibility that I'm a terrorist. Just because I watch Arab media does not... You hang an Arab flag and you watch Arab media, how are you not a terrorist? Well, you seem to be able to speak, yet you're still stupid. So I don't know how you can ask me that question. Are you are you an American and you ask me that question? That every Arab is a terrorist? That's not the case. If you have to ask, I can't answer. Are you trying to uh, annoy me? It appears I've done an excellent job. It appears you haven't because your stupidity and ignorance does not affect my life. I'm a proud Lebanese and I know who I am and I know where I came from and I know my country and I know my history. So someone with ignorant viewpoints and closed-mindedness does not affect me. Thank you very much. Thank you. All right, thanks. thanks, you too. And apparently uh, not a great sense of humor. <laughs> okay, we're done. All right, so there you go. Okay, let me tell you something, okay? God damn, Ben Manquist, you're good. Mm-hmm. Damn. Were, well, you know, you go to a, thank you, you go to a, you know, that's the, the, a right atmosphere for that kind of thing. Because they believe it so fervently and they're so angry uh-huh. that they're not. That's you know. the best time to fuck with them. <laughs> yeah, totally. That's exactly. <laughs> no, it's it's exactly right. I mean, at least the 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 well, the one uh, the first Lebanese girl got it, the cute one mm-hmm. with the glasses. No, yeah. and did you, was it actually her number? Because no, no, because I will no, call she, her. She was, I, you know, I'm you know I'm Muslim. She was right. But the great thing was, is I asked what her name is. It's just loud people. She's she's like Rana Hajj, and I'm like, okay, Rhonda. 
what's your name? And she's like, she's trying to, I, I, I said, I didn't get your last name. She goes, Haj. I'm like, I, I'm sorry, R, and I write the first name down, R-H-O-N-D-A. And she's like, not Rhonda, Rhonda. She's Lebanese. Right. Of course, yeah. <laughs> and she's going, uh, and she planned to go to Lebanon on Sunday. Mm-hmm. But, of course, the airport has craters in it. But she's like, if they fix the airport, I'm going. So I said to her, for the love of God, why don't go to Lebanon on Sunday? And I'm, and she's like, but it's my country. I'm like, but yeah. not right now. Stay here. Yeah, Compton's also in my country, but I'm not going there at night. What, yeah. she, what, <laughs> okay. what does she think? How, how does she think she'll be of any use? Oh, there? she's not going. She's too smart. She's a teacher. She wants. She cares. She's she she wants to. You know, and and, and she was understanding she, that there the was moment that America is under fire. Out. <laughs> going to Lebanon. Well, it's not a question of maybe you don't right, but you don't come back in the middle of the war. That's all right. First of all, any chant that involves the word genocide is always fun. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> how do they? I mean, how do you do that? I don't know. Yeah. Bush old man, you can't hide. We charge you with genocide. Zing zang. <laughs> <laughs> all right. And that chant. woman uh, at the end, the Lebanese American at the end, and you know, after I felt bad after I finished the thing, and I go, yeah. oh, hey, look, I don't, I don't think you're a terrorist. I'm just kidding. Uh-huh. Tongue in cheek. She's like, I know. I do the whole time. Nah, it didn't appear so. No, because no. <laughs> she was telling her friend, she was like, I just told the reporter from America what an idiot he was. I put him in his place. He said, oh, all Arabs are terrible. Oh, I know you were kidding. Right. <laughs> but she was very nice. And, of course, how does she know I'm not an idiot? It's entirely, you know. It could have been from Fox. It could have been from Fox. And uh, Lord knows uh, I worked in local news for many years. And I did many, 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 many incredibly stupid things. And, 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 and Lord knows. But there were people dumber than I. <laughs> All right. Now, and you were right, by the way. Final thing on this is that I was, that was Young Turks. Mm-hmm. Some serious, some funny. You mix it in. You confuse the right. living hell out of people. <laughs> right. yeah, sure. And you have fun doing it. All right, that was great stuff. We'll have to do that more often. Uh, if we could just bomb a couple more countries, maybe the neocons are right. We get a couple more protests out here. We get the Syrians out here. Oh, oh please. Come on, how's that not more fun? Yeah. All right. How did we, and how did we let the Armenian protests go? Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, send me a. Mm, yeah, maybe. No, maybe yeah. not. Tell me if there's something I can do. Lately all I'm thinking of is you So I tried to write you a love song But all the music came out wrong So I hope that you dance along yeah, I hope that you dance along with me kind of puts out the meme, right? The meme gets put out uh, by Newt and a few other guys. Oh, and, and, of course, you know, there's a whole situation in Israel. And we've, we've got three hours here. We'll have plenty of time to talk about all of these things. Our telephone number, of course, 866-303-2270. Also, if you want to drop into our live chat room, you can go over to TomHartman.com and just click Live Chat. It'll get you there. And and I would imagine that the blog at MajorityReport.com is running, um, I believe so. But in any case, the the, the meme that's put out, is if the Republicans want to win the war, excuse me, want to win the election, the war, yeah, 
if the uh, if the Republicans want to win the elections in 2006 and set up a win for 2008, then they have to take a page from Franklin Roosevelt's playbook, or for that matter, from Richard Nixon's. They have to position, but Frank, particularly Franklin Roosevelt, and for that matter, Woodrow Wilson. They have to position. Everything that's going on, all this stuff, the, you know, the Bush spying on Americans, Bush spying on your bank records, Bush looking at your doctor records, Bush looking into your psychiatrist records, Bush looking at your dentist's office records, Bush listening to your phone calls, uh, Bush starting wars in foreign countries, all, all this stuff. They have to position it as World War III. Gingrich comes out, and he's pretty unambiguous about this. On the inside, right, with other Republicans. You guys, you know, we're going to want to win in 2006. We've got to start calling this thing World War III. We've got to put this meme out. And if we put this meme out and, we, and it takes traction, it grabs hold, and you can get enough Americans to believe that World War III is going on, then they'll write a blank check to the Republicans. And on Sunday, he comes on Meet the Press and lays it out. Destroy the tunnels of New York. We're in the early stages of what I would describe as the Third World War, and frankly, our bureaucracies aren't responding fast enough. We don't have the right attitude about this, and this is the 58th year of the war to destroy Israel. And frankly, the Israelis have every right to insist that every single missile leave South Lebanon, and that the United States ought to be helping the Lebanese government have the strength to eliminate Hezbollah as a military force, not as a political force in the parliament, but as a military force in South Lebanon. This is World War III. I, I believe if you take all the countries I just listed that you've been covering, put them on a map, look at all the different connectivity, you'd have to say to yourself, this is in fact World War III. This is in fact World War III. The new Newt Gingrich meme. The new Republican Party meme. Yes, my friends, it's World War III. As, uh, was this, Lopin over at Daily Kos, he says, uh, former U.S. Speaker, House Speaker Newt Gingrich says America is in World War III and President Bush should say so. In an interview in Bellevue this morning, Gingrich said Bush should call a joint session of Congress the first week of September, that'd be conveniently timed for the November elections, and talk about global military conflicts in much starker terms than have been heard from the president so far. Gingrich said, quote, we need to have the militancy that says we're not going to lose a city, end quote. He talks about the need to recognize World War III as important for military strategy and political strategy. Gingrich said he is, quote, very worried, end quote, about Republicans facing fall elections and says the party must have the, quote, nerve, end quote, to nationalize the elections. In other words, create an issue that is so big that all, all across America, people are going to go, uh, yeah, my congressman, uh, he's a Republican, he's corrupt, he's got, he's got money falling out of his back pocket, he was in bed with Jack Abramoff over, you know, metaphorically speaking. Um, the, the guy's a bum, he wouldn't, they wouldn't vote for stem cells, he wouldn't vote for, for uh, you know, he voted for CAPT, he's push, he's, they're, they're, they're trying to screw the workers, they're sending our jobs offshore, they're, yeah, but we're in World War III, so I better vote for him. In other words, nationalize the elections. Make sure that nobody votes on local issues. Nobody votes for their congressman or congresswoman because, or votes against them, in the case of the Republicans, because of the crime, the high crimes and misdemeanors committed by the Republican Party and the Bush administration. But instead, people will simply vote to maintain the status quo because they're scared to death. That's what Gingrich wants. 
Again, the quote, Gingrich says he is very worried about Republicans facing fall elections and says the party must have the nerve. And he means that in a positive way. The, you know, the power, the willingness. To nationalize the elections and make the 2000 campaigns about a liberal Democratic agenda rather than about President Bush's record. As they note over at MyDD, Shorter Newt, it's important to start World War III. Otherwise, the Democrats will win the midterms in 2006, and the Republican Congress will not be able to prevent America from losing a city. That's the translation. It's important to start World War III. It's not even important to start World War III. As Frank Rich pointed out in the New York Times yesterday, I believe it was yesterday, it might have been this morning's piece. I'm pretty, I, no, I'm pretty sure it was yesterday. They don't even have to do it. They just have to say they're doing it. We have a virtual government in the United States, a virtual presidency. And the more that they can make it all about war, well, like Juan Williams talking to Bill Crystal on Fox News, and he just confronts him. He said, you know, Bill, Bill Crystal, the, the, whose father was really the father of the neocon movement, is a student of Leo Strauss and Will, Bill Crystal now, one of the big cheerleaders for Iraq. Juan Williams just looks him in the eye and says, come on, come on, you, you're just a warmonger. Well, here's the actual you just want war, 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 and you want us in more war. You wanted us in Iraq. Now you wanted us in Iran. Now you want us to get into the Middle East. Where has it gotten us, Bill? Where has it gotten us, Bill? Where? Where? Well, you know, Putin's pretty clear about it. Putin, you know, Putin's pretty clear about it. George W. Bush says, oh, yeah, we're, we're creating democracies around the world. Just look at Iraq, yeah? I talked about my desire to promote... Uh, institutional change in parts of the world, uh, like Iraq, where, where there's a free press and free religion. And, and uh, I told him that a lot of people in our country, you know, would hope that Russia would do the same thing. I fully understand, however, that there will be a Russian-style democracy. And at that point, Vladimir Putin, listening to Bush say this, the guy speaks pretty good English. He responds in Russian, but uh, so you hear the translator, but he says... Uh, we certainly would not want to have the same kind of democracy as they have in Iraq. In fact, I would like the quite the opposite. And then Bush says, well, just you wait. And is that does that mean what? We're going to bring this kind of democracy to Russia or that Bush ultimately is going to be successful? Who knows? Honestly. Just wait. Just wait. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. History will judge. And the next president, he'll be the one who gets us out of there because, uh, you know, it's a, we would just create a mess. In the meantime, the situation in the Middle East is getting, it's, it's getting pretty grim. In, in my book, What Would Jefferson Do? I quoted, actually, Fukuyama, a, a neocon, in one of his books and, and several other sources. But, you know, just a whole bunch of sources who talk about the fact that democracies generally, well, not just generally, in all of history, democracies have never attacked democracies. So how could it be that a democracy, Israel, is attacking a democracy, Lebanon, or the other way around? If you, if you want to try and frame it that way, although I would say even the Israelis would suggest that it was Hezbollah, or Hezbollah that attacked and, you know, kidnapped these soldiers in Israel. And what, what this seems like to me, I, I see more parallels here with regard to Hezbollah 
with the Irish Republican Army, then, the, you know, I, I really think that there's a metaphor there that has some value. That Because three weeks ago, the Lebanese parliament met, and the purpose of the meeting was to figure out how they were going to disarm Hezbollah in the south. Now, keep in mind, Hezbollah has a political wing that actually has a few members of parliament. They actually have, you know, they, they have po- political power in and, and seats. And then there's this military nutcase wing in the south. And the, the U.N. resolution, I believe it's 1559, that said they've got to be disarmed. And in the three or four years since Israel pulled out of there, the United States, if it was really interested in promoting a fledgling democracy like, like Lebanon, should have been going in and saying, you know, we're going to help you out with your democracy. We're going to help strengthen your democracy, and we're going to help you disarm these loonies that you've got in the South you know, we had, our, we had a problem like that here in the United States. We had a right-wing fringe case here in the United States. His name was Tim McVeigh. He blew up the, 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 the building in Oklahoma. And, you know, we went after him and his guys. And we're going to help you go after you and, you know, your guys and, and you know, strengthen your democracy. But uh, the Bush administration, but George Bush now, his idea of foreign policy is, uh, I don't know, watching The Simpsons on TV or something, there, there, there's, there's a complete... No, I don't mean that sarcastically. I, truthfully, seriously, there's a real disconnect between the idea of actual diplomacy and foreign policy and, and you know, doing it. I mean, we have this virtual presidency and this virtual government where everybody talks about things, nobody actually does something. And something could have been done over the last few years. And frankly, I think that a lot of the responsibility for what's going on right now in the Middle East rests right in Washington, D.C., tragically. And I'm not just talking about the destabilization of the region by our invading and occupying Iraq. I'm also talking about our failure to support democracy in Lebanon, our ally, in a way that would have ultimately diminished the military wing of of, uh, Hezbollah, which now is gaining in power and ascendancy because, you know, they kicked the beehive, they're they're getting fought back against, and now the political wing of Hezbollah is losing power. It's a theory. Those are still two separate fights right now. Mm-hmm. The, the one Israel's having with Hamas and the one Israel's now having with Hezbollah. That, that's a good question, Jill, and it is. And so let me explain. First, uh, New York Times from two days ago had a very good timeline of how all this back and forth started. Now, unfortunately, I don't have a link for you here, but you could, if you go to the New York Times website, hopefully you could find that. Uh, now, as to the question of how did all this start and Hezbollah and Hamas. Hezbollah is in... Uh, Southern Lebanon, they're Shiites, they're backed by Syria and Iran. Hamas are Palestinians, they're in the Gaza Strip, they're uh, Sunnis. Those are two separate fights Israel's having at the same time. Now, do Hamas and Hezbollah from time to time work together? Mm -hmm. Yes, they do. Now, did they coordinate this? It doesn't appear they did. No, but, I mean, didn't the one, the struggle now that they're having with Hamas start with, you know, a civilian and a soldier being captured and then Israel retaliating 
Same with Hezbollah, correct? Now there was like two soldiers captured, Israel retaliated. That's exactly right. That's right. And what happened, now it's much more complicated simply because uh, one side will say, oh no, it wasn't the soldiers being captured that started it. It was that Israel actually did a bombing on a beach in Gaza Strip, and that's why the Palestinians captured the soldiers. Mm -hmm. But then you can go back tit for tat forever on that, and you trace it all the way back to 1948. But then Israel did this, and the Palestinians did this. And didn't Israel have a chance to not, I mean, because I feel like right now Israel is acting in a way where they're going to end up looking like the bad guy. Um, didn't they have a chance? <laughs> Mission accomplished. That check. That's Look, I mean, already th happened. Didn't they have a chance to go into this and use like a multilateral approach rather than just taking it on themselves with both I think countries? they did. I think they why did, and they blew a, a golden opportunity. But why do you think they chose to do it the way they're doing now rather than the more diplomatic way? Well, as we've gone over a couple of times, I think there are two possibilities. One is they wanted to show them who's boss. Uh, Omer, who is not a commanding general in the field in the Israeli army, wanted to show him that he could be tough and that he should not be messed with. And the Israelis were tired of the soldier kidnappings are total BS excuse. Okay, that has nothing to do with anything. Israel was like, oh, you capture our soldiers? Rock and roll. Let's do the things that we wanted to do all along. Now, but why do I blame Hamas and Hezbollah for, quote-unquote, starting it in this case? Because it's not the soldiers' thing. It's that they keep firing the rockets into Israel. You can't keep firing rockets into Israel and go, oh, wow, look at that, they invaded. I could have, I never would have suspected that. So, and that's Iran and Syria encouraging Hezbollah and Hamas mm -hmm. to do that because they want to stir up trouble. Mm -hmm. So, now, in the beginning, I don't, you know, the... But if you're Israel at this time and, you know... You, you have, you know, two year guys captured with a terrorist organization. And don't you risk losing their lives when you try to take a lot of time to do a diplomatic approach? No. Uh, first of all, Hezbollah and Hamas have uh, captured Israeli prisoners before. Hezbollah does it on a regular basis, mm -hmm. and they do prisoner exchanges. They do it all the time. In fact, they just did one in 2004 where Hezbollah captured an Israeli businessman and they got 400 prisoners in, in exchange for it. Mm -hmm. Okay? So it's this Israel being like, oh my God, they captured an Israeli. Wow, that's a first. Well, I will not do a prisoner exchange. Is a 100% lie. Mm -hmm. Okay? So, and the whole idea of, no, they'll kill him if we don't act right away is totally a lie because they keep them until they can do a prisoner exchange. They're not killing them. Okay? Well, now, Hamas did kill one of the uh, civilians, it turned out, in the original Gaza Strip incursion, but one could argue that's because they panicked because Israel all of a sudden came into the Gaza Strip. I don't know how it actually went down blow by blow in that case, mm -hmm. but it's not like this is unprecedented. What's unprecedented, unfortunately, not unprecedented, what is unusual in this case is Israel's overreaction. And so there are two possibilities. One is they did it to show them who's boss in a really foolhardy effort that's going to do more damage than good for the Israelis. The second is this is not about Lebanon or Gaza Strip mm -hmm. at all. They want to start a bigger war with Iran and Syria. And they're just trying to goad them, goad them, goad them until Hezbollah does something awful. And when they do something awful, they go, oh, what could we do? We had to invade Iran and the U.S. has to help us. Well, no, there's the idea, too, that you can't really use diplomacy or, like, multilateral approach with terrorist organizations. Yeah, if it was Lebanon that, you know, took that strike against Israel. That's or another total BS uh, uh, talking point. Uh, we can't negotiate with terrorists. If they were a nation state, maybe we could have conversation with mm -hmm. them. But since they're terrorists, they're, they're animals. Uh, you can't talk to them. Of course you can talk to them. They're your enemy. And you have a conversation, 
and you try to come up with a settlement. That's why I still understand. I mean, like, granted, I mean, Hezbollah is, you know, involved in the Lebanese government. That's why I don't understand why Israel didn't approach the Lebanese government and try and work with them together against Hezbollah. Because that well, seems to be the true, like, the true enemy that they both seem to share. Jill, I would say that's a good long-term strategy, and I really believe that. And I think that is the proper course they but should go in the long term. But in the short like this, term, maybe they don't. I mean, maybe the long term seems it, it seems too daunting that you got to act quickly. Oh, well, which I is agree what with they that. Did. I know. No, but no. Look, there's different things. Look, Lebanon. In the long term, you should w cultivate that relationship and have them work uh, against Hezbollah with you. In the short term, Lebanon doesn't have the power or the force to be able to force Hezbollah to give you the soldiers back or to move off the border. Okay, but that doesn't mean, since in the short term you can't co-opt the Lebanese government, that your only other choice is an invasion. Right. You have many other choices, and Israel took, I think, at this point, a very bad choice. of his Vietnam War, his Marine record, but I'll tell you something else. He came out this weekend and did nothing but disparage our troops. So as far as I'm Jack, concerned... Jack, you know why you can't relate to this? Because you don't have the heart of a soldier. You don't have the guts of a soldier, just like Carl Rove and Hassard. You've never picked up a gun. You don't know what real war is. When you lose 2,500 human beings, you can't have a Tony Snow go on and say, it's just a number. To you Republicans, it is just a number. You're going to get killed. All right. I'll tell you, we're going to have to leave there. You guys take it out in the hall. Jack Bergman, Mike Papantonio, thanks Thank so you, much. John Murtha knows firsthand about the horrors of war. He was a decorated colonel in Vietnam. He also served in Korea. He was awarded the Bronze Star for Valor, the Vietnamese Cross for Gallantry for Bravery in the Face of Fire, and he actually bled from bullet holes that he received in combat that entitled him to two Purple Hearts. Let's compare John Murtha to the war sissies who are so proud of America's Iraqi war based on George Bush lies. One more sissy who was a key architect in the Iraqi lie is Dick Cheney. Dick Cheney's a hopeless coward. That much was clear to us when he hid underground like a schoolyard sissy while the Twin Towers in New York burned. Because cowards really know how to stay away from the real fights. In fact, Cheney's such a hopeless coward that while his less fortunate college pals were coming home in body bags from Vietnam, Dick Cheney was sitting around in his fraternity house playing canasta because he'd received five student marriage deferments so he could avoid serving his country. Cheney's spin on all that is that he had more important things to do than go to Vietnam. Dick Cheney's one of the spin doctors who called John Kerry a coward. Now Cheney, a man who's functioned without a backbone for decades, now that man is helping to engineer the spin that John Murtha is a coward for demanding that we withdraw immediately from Iraq. And just like you'd expect from a coward, Cheney won't come right out and openly attack Murtha. No, to Murtha's face, Cheney's going to call him a great warrior, a great patriot. 
patriot. But what Cheney will do is he'll place quiet telephone calls that put this attack in place, a character assassination that we're going to see against Mirtha. And just like we saw in the last presidential election, it's going to be the war pimps, the college mama's boys who join in the course to criticize a person who's something that they never, ever will be. That is a man. Their first shot at Mirtha was to call him a Michael Moore fringe liberal who's out of touch with reality. That kind of attack originates with Republican leadership. People like Trent Lott. Trent Lott spent the Vietnam years as a cheerleader at Ole Miss. He never worried much about the horror and realities of war. He was more concerned about how his college fraternity would do in that Ole Miss intramural golf competition. Tom DeLay, another one of the backroom John Murtha critics and one of the key liars in the frenzy leading up to the Iraqi war. Well, chicken-hearted Tom tells us today that the reason he avoided getting shot at was because too many blacks and too many Hispanics were taking up all the room in the military and there just wasn't any room for Tom. Just like Cheney, you won't see DeLay's name associated with the character assassination that we'll eventually see against Murtha if Murtha keeps calling for an immediate pullout in Iraq. But DeLay's the one who will make calls to political bottom feeders like Bob Perry and John O'Neill from Texas who coordinated the backroom character assassination program against John Kerry two years ago. But the numbers of those war pimp cowards, well, they don't stop there. Rush Limbaugh actually went to his family friend doctor and had that family friend doctor write out a military deferment medical letter because he had a boil on his butt that made it difficult for him to run, according to his family friend doctor. A butt boil that must have plagued him for years because he never, ever showed up for military service during the Nam years or any time after. But you can bet that today that invertebrate coward will participate in some form or fashion attacking John Murtha if John Murtha continues his attack on the Bush administration for an immediate pullout from this Iraqi war. And of course there is Dennis Hassard, our distinguished Republican Speaker of the House, who had to fake and lie his way out of Nam by making up a story that he had injured a knee. But I got to tell you, that injured knee didn't stop daring Dennis from competitive wrestling in college the whole time he was there. Bill O'Reilly, he's another one. Bill O'Reilly hit out in London rather than Canada to avoid all those AK-47 rounds flying around his head in Nam. will no doubt carry out his Fox media role as a cog in the character attack that we'll eventually see against Mirtha if Mirtha continues calling for an immediate pullout from the Iraqi war. Paul Wolfowitz and Richard Pearl cowered down at the University of Chicago by hiding out in academia. What they're going to do is call on their well-hidden neocon nutty attack dogs like the Scaife Foundation or the Heritage Foundation to plant stories that are going to steal as much of the honor as possible from the character of John Murtha. In the weeks to come, every one of these gutless, cow-hearted war sissies are going to be an important cog in the Republican spin machine that will attack John Murtha if he continues his call to pull out of Iraq immediately. The truth is he's a bigger-than-life 73-year-old congressman from Pennsylvania who's still showing the caliber of courage that he showed as a soldier both in Vietnam and Korea. And it's going to be particularly painful to watch because my prediction is that all those Democratic leaders who should be locked and loaded, sitting in a foxhole with Murtha as he fights this battle over the Iraqi war, well, those gutless political lightweights, they're going to be AWOL. They'll leave that courageous 73-year-old soldier alone out there as a point man, isolated and unprotected by any meaningful political firepower, a lone political soldier with enough courage to speak the truth about a war that 65% of the American public finds finally understands is a war based on George Bush lies. But even though the American public can finally see all that very clearly, when a non-binding congressional vote on the issue of immediate pullout from Iraq was cast, only three Democrats, 
three Democrats had enough courage to even symbolically stand by the side of John Murtha. You know, I guess when you put all the facts together, it's hard to tell who the real cowards are in this story. The Pap Attack on Air America Radio Network. Go to ringoffireradio.com or airamericaradio.com for more info. We got this thing operating. In fact, it's still operating today. The uh, Salem program in Germany, or Salem as it's pronounced in German, it's from the word Shalom, um, is you know is one of the better charities organizations that's operating in Uganda right now. And so in 1980, we got this thing started in 1980. In 1981, Dick Gregory, who was on my advisory board for this program in, in New Hampshire that Louise, my wife, and I ran, and an old friend, he'd done a couple of fundraisers for us. Dick Gregory uh, called him up and said, hey, you want to go with me to Uganda? We'll do a fundraiser. You know, your name, you'll get some publicity, and I'll show you around. And, you know, he was like, hey, I've never been to Africa before. That'll be great. So we're on this plane flying across the Atlantic Ocean. And we're both just totally jazzed. You know, I mean, it's 3 o'clock in the morning. We've had about three glasses of wine. And uh, we're talking about Vietnam and the war in Vietnam and all this stuff and how, how, I, how I, one time back in, in 1969, I think it was, um, I got in trouble at a radio station I was working for for playing an album, his album, The Light Side, The Dark Side. I was doing an all-night progressive rock show, and it was supposed to be music, and I'm playing Dick Gregory. And the manager's calling up going, what are you playing Dick Gregory? So I'm telling him this story, and he's, he's oh, that's really, we're talking about, you know, what was going on back in the 60s. And he says, you know what I don't understand? He says, I don't understand why Americans want to run around the world trying to shove our way of life down people's throats with the barrel of a gun. He says, when you've got something good, you don't have to force it on people. He says, they will steal it. And it's so true, and it's true of democracy. And when you think of what people go through to get democracy and how fragile it is at first, I mean, the American democracy was almost brought down by John Adams with his Alien and Sedition Acts, putting opposition newspaper editors in jail. Thomas Jefferson saved American democracy in 1800. Abraham Lincoln saved American democracy again in the 1860s. Um, arguably, Franklin Roosevelt in, in the 1930s saved American democracy again because we very easily could have flipped into either communism or fascism because the Great Depression, the Republican Great Depression was so bad. 
democracy is incredibly powerful and incredibly fragile. It's powerful because it has roots that are deep in the people. It's fragile because there are some forces, as, as happened in Germany in the 1930s, fascistic forces can, can rise up and, and seize control of it. So here you've got this guy, uh, Nasrallah. Hassan Nasrallah is the head of Hezbollah, in, uh, which is a Shiite organization. Keep in mind, Hamas is Sunni. I mean, there's, there's, a, there's, there, there's some real subtle differences here, uh, some that are not, not so subtle. So anyhow, you've got Hassan Nasrallah running Hezbollah in Lebanon. And, they're, and they've got this political thing, and then they've got this military thing. And, and they were supposed to do away with the military thing, and we were supposed to help them. And the U.N. was supposed to help them. And instead, what do we have? We've got Bush telling John Bolton, go raise hell and destroy the United Nations. And John Bolton running around with his walrus mustache, flap, 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 and, and the U.N. doing nothing. Israel saying, hey, you know, we pulled out of there. We can't do it. The United Nations should be doing it. We're doing nothing. The U.N. is doing nothing. Lebanon doesn't have the power to do it. We should be supporting these new democracies like Lebanon. And we didn't. And this is, the, this is in, in many ways, the predictable results. So, anyhow, I, you know, I just, you know, my rant, I'm, I'm not, I don't have nice, clean, tidy, black and white answers for this thing. I don't have a, you know, Israel's absolutely right and everybody else is wrong. Or, Israel's absolutely wrong and everybody else is right. Or it's all Bush's fault. Or Bush had nothing to do. None of that. There's so many shades of gray in this. And there are so many failures at so many levels in so many places. But the most conspicuous failures are the last five years of American foreign policy. Attacking a country in the Middle East that had nothing to do with 9-11 and represented no threat to us or, frankly, to any of their neighbors, that being Iraq. And then having a successful war there that lasted just a month or so. And then followed by, by what, four years of it, or an absolute and incompetent in, uh, occupation. Three plus years. And in the meantime, being completely disengaged. I mean, we used to talk to Syria. We used to talk to, we used to, talk to Iran. We used to t- I mean, No, we're not going to have a conversation with them. We're not going to talk to, we're not going to talk to North Korea. I mean, George Bush has been living in a bubble. And it is it it is bringing the the world to the brink of war. And then you can, and then you get Newt Gingrich saying the best thing for the Republicans is to have World War Three or at least to call it that, so that the American people will think that's that, so that the people will be afraid and they'll vote Republican. And I just I just have to say, this is not a good thing. This is not a good thing for America. This is not a good thing for the United States of America. This is not a good thing for democracy. This is not a good thing for, for people, human beings, human beings, people like you and me all around the world, whether they're, whether they're Arabs, whether they're Jews, whether they're Druze, whether they're, whether they're Christian, whatever they may be, wherever they may be, particularly in the Middle East, in that region. It is not a good thing for the, for the children. It is not a good thing for the people there. That George W. Bush and his administration have been so completely disengaged because they have been interested in style and not substance, in flash and not reality. It has been just an absolute and total tragedy. If 
Quickly, Chris Matthews said a thing we repeat on the show a lot. It's very important. I, he said, I worry you kill one guy, you make an enemy for life of his brother, of his son, of his brother-in-law, his father. I think it's an excellent, excellent point that never gets made in the mainstream media, and I like hearing it. He also said, you know, we're just realizing, he said, this is really a Shia versus Sunni problem. It's a thousand-year problem. I'm worried we're going to have another thousand-year problem. It's interesting. We're not just recognizing that. People were saying it before the Iraq war. Those people were left out of meetings by Don Rumsfeld. Uh, professors were screaming it. People understand this. You may be just understanding it. I may be just understanding it. Smart people have known it for a long time, but welcome aboard anyway, Chris. Uh, now, without further ado, uh, how Israel can solve the problem. I don't know why I went with that one, but it seemed appropriate. Here's Jim. All right. It's called the Israeli Marshall Plan. Okay, get this. Three prongs. Number one, uh, you have to, I, this is the toughie, you have to have an actual just peace plan with the Palestinians. Well, you go in, you say 1967 borders or something equivalent to that. We'll take a little 4% of the West Bank, but we'll give you something in return. We'll split up Jerusalem. We're going to have a real peace plan that we can all agree to. Okay, But that's not the end-all, be-all, because you'll still have Hamas and Hezbollah and extremists who will not agree to it and will continue to fire rockets, as they did here, to start the problems in the first place. The second part of it is... Israel promises to take multilateral action, not unilateral action in the area. What does that mean? They say in a situation like this, look, we came up with a peace plan everybody's happy with. We implemented it. We got out of uh, southern Lebanon. Now you got these people firing rockets from Lebanon. Syria, Lebanon, Saudi Arabia, all you guys are going to sit down and you're going to tell me what you're going to do about it. And I'm going to give you a certain amount of time for you to do something about it. And if they don't do something about it, you go to the United Nations and you say, I'm going to give you a certain amount of time. Not a long amount of time, but some amount of time for you to do something about it. Now, if all of you don't do something about it, and I have a just uh, a grievance here, then I'm going to do something about it. But if you act unilaterally, as they've done here, then you don't have partners for peace. You have cowboy diplomacy, and you get no one on your side. Whereas if you ask them to act first, at least then you've got all those people on your side when you finally do act, and you have the international community on your side when you do act. And the third part of it is actually investing in rebuilding the Middle East. Go into Lebanon and say, look, you have $3 billion worth of damage here. I'm going to give you the $3 billion. We're going to rebuild Lebanon together. Well, this is really important. First, because the Marshall Plan for the U.S. is the only thing that's ever goddamn worked. Okay? I mean, we bombed people to oblivion. We've done invasion after invasion after invasion, and we've had such little success with all of those. The one thing that actually worked was when we rebuilt Germany and rebuilt Japan into our best allies. And here's one of the reasons it works. When you go in and you're Israel and you say, Lebanon, I'm going to give you $3 billion, and we're going to build stuff together here in Lebanon. If they start to act in a way you don't like, you say, well, we spent $500 million already, but I, if you want the other $2.5 billion, it makes sense for us to work together rather than against each other. You have something over them, but not a stick. You have a carrot over them, and you have something that they want, money. 
It's usually about the money. Oh, the Jews got to play the money card. <laughs> right. And bagels. Give them bagels. That always helps everybody. All right. All right. Well, so in all seriousness, I think if you do that, then you build a constructive relationship and you can <laughs> undermine the popular support that Hezbollah, Hamas, and other extremist groups have when they see you doing good across their country rather than invading and bombing. Obviously, this requires more than 45 seconds of conversation. Uh, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a good idea. It's, it's, it's great on paper. The problem, and you mentioned it, is not part one, the hard part is the meaningful piece. And it strikes me that uh, obviously people have tried to get that for many years, but that part two and part one could go together. Like you would, it would take Israel with some degree of unilateralism saying, okay, we're going to give up even more of the West Bank. But if we're going to do that, Jordan and Egypt, mainly those two countries who have peace agreements with Israel, we're going to need your support on part two. We're really, you, you really are going to have to be aboard if we do that. Now, that's not, I'm sure that's occurred to smart people before, but part one of your plan is, is clearly the most difficult. Thanks for listening, everybody. So I've decided today to do something really um, strategically terrible. Like if I had advisors they'd be quitting in protest over this. So what I've decided to do is to um, immediately uh, disappoint and upset you and then practically in the same breath ask for your help and support. So here it goes. I don't have a show slated for Friday. So that's two days from now. I just want to warn you ahead of time, this is, uh, we're still feeling the, the echoing repercussions of uh, coming out of that media black hole from last week. I just didn't really listen to any shows last week, and so I don't really have any clips. If you don't have any clips, you don't really have a clip show, which is what I'm all about. So, there we go. No clips. Um left over i was kind of scraping the bottom bottom of the barrel anyways for this week and i just flat ran out so that's the bad news no show for friday and uh so i apologize for that but i mean the good news is that next week it should you know it'll be like the best of two weeks combined uh essentially so maybe it'll just be a freaking stellar week next week you know we'll see i'll do my best and now i would like to ask now even though you're upset and depressed by that news i'm still going to ask that you go to my website bestoftheleftpodcast.com and do not one but two things still continuing is the voting for the podcast awards there's you can't possibly miss it on the website all the information is right there it explains the whole gig uh, on top of that uh, it's a new month it's august and all i you know i should have mentioned it in yesterday's show but whatever um a new month means uh the voting has restarted at podcast alley and at least Last month, I didn't even bother asking. It just, you know, I was asking you guys to do other things. I wasn't going to push it. It was no big deal. 
this month I'd like to kind of pick it up again. And we'll, you know, after taking a month off, we'll see how much better I do now. You know, I, we did pretty, pretty decently. And it, it's really amazing. I, I think Podcast Alley, is it's right up there, like pretty similar to iTunes. You know, like, like Podcast Alley is iTunes for people in the know. People who don't know what they're doing, you know, and there's a lot of you out there and I was certainly one of them for a long time. But if, if you if you're just figuring out what a podcast is, iTunes is a fantastic place to go. If you if you've known what I uh, what um, podcasts are, and you've known it for a long time, then you know about Podcast Alley. It's it's like the mecca, and getting ranked highly on there is huge. So um, that's what I'm asking. Uh, it, it would help tremendously. Just, uh, you know, exposure and helping to grow the show um, to, if you could and would vote on Podcast Alley each month. The easiest way to do it is just to go to my website. It's, it's listed in the support the show section. And when you click the link, the only thing left you have to do is put in your email address and hit go. Uh, you know, it's, it's totally simple. And they don't even send you spam or anything like that. So... There we go. If you can get past the fact that um, that I'm only giving you four shows this week, and you can find it in your hearts to go and vote not once but twice for me in the podcast awards and uh, and and podcast alley, then we can a get me ranked highly at podcast alley and b kick Barack Obama's ass. At the podcast awards, because we all know he talks a good game, but then he only votes. You know, like what the headline I just saw—a C plus average. You know, as far as like solid progressive voting. Come on, man. Let's take this clown down. That's. Don't get me started on him. All right, I'm getting all worked up. I'm going to bed now. Have a good one, everybody. Hey folks, Godless Kenzer here from the podcast Watch It Burn. When I'm not out burying improvised education devices alongside conservative convoy routes, I listen to the other members of the Progressive Podcast Network at NewMediaRevolution.org. Why don't you go on over there and give them a listen? I'm sure you're going to enjoy what you hear. Progressive Podcast Network at NewMediaRevolution.org. Our IEDs blow conservative minds.